As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are talking about a movie that goes beyond any genre definition, mm. a horror comedy, a witch's tale, and two renditions of a town in peril. Dun, dun, dun. There's a lot going on this week. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> there is a lot. Uh, okay, so movie that goes beyond any genre definition. I... I'm wondering if this is what I think it is. Barb and Star, visit Del Mar. Yes! Did you love? Obsessed with it. It's incredible. Oh, sorry. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Pardon me. It is incredible. Like, Mm -hmm. it is so, it is like, I say it goes beyond any genre definition because it does. Like there, it's like a comedy, but also it's like a spoof movie, but and a comedy and romantic comedy and a spy movie and like tries and like basically does everything that Austin Powers wanted to do, but better in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> and yes, I yes. had so much fun with this. I was super hungover when I watched it. Mm. Like full disclosure to everyone, I was very hungover on a Sunday, and I was like. 
I've heard such good things about this movie. I might as well do it. And it was the per- it's the perfect hangover movie. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And like I don't even know how else to describe it. Jamie, this is the best I've ever seen Jamie Dornan. I want him in oh. more comedies, like where he can be funny because he's really funny. Like yeah, he's like quite funny actor. And I really loved how this movie embraces sexuality of middle-aged women without it being Mm. like gross or weird. And it's just like Mm -hmm. women having sex and having casual sex and having it not be like some weird, crazy thing. And this movie, this movie is so fucking over the top. Like there are musical sequences in the middle of a hotel. There's a water spirit named Trish. Trish. Mm. Shout out to a real one. (laughs) But like, there are some parts that they really take seriously that I really loved, like with their relation, like their friendship, Barb and Star's relationship as friends, and also their own experiences with the losing husbands through divorce or through like through death. And I was very surprised about like it's it is not a wholesome movie, but their wholesome aspects <laughs> to it were quite sweet, and it is just so goofy and great, and just like. Again, wholesome isn't the right word, but those two characters, Barb and Star, are just amazing. Like, I did not think I would like them as much as I did. I thought they were going to be kind of like annoying caricatures, mm-hmm. and they are caricatures, but they also are a lot more than that. And it was, it was just very lovely. It was really funny, and also about two women like finding themselves after going through traumatic experiences, losing husbands, and like that's not really mark. It's like it doesn't seem like that, but it really is about these two women getting what they call their shimmer back, and it's really, really good. And it has Jamie Dornan singing. Will we be exclusive? Exclusive couples. <laughs> Official and couples. Yo-Yo. <sighs> the way the movie opens with Yo-Yo, the paper boy, just living his best life, listening to some music and throwing papers and not caring where they land. like, And then just going right into the tree and becoming a little sidekick. As soon as that happened, I was like, this is not – I did. I didn't really know anything about – I wanted to watch it and I knew it was weird, so I didn't really look into it. So I, once that, that happened, I was like, yep, this is perfect. And when it started with kulats, the definition of kulats at the beginning, <laughs> yes. I was like, this is a perfect film. <laughs> so. So good. I've watched it like three times already this year and I just it's, – it's, it makes me – it makes me so happy. So fun and i think it's hilarious it's sick dumb humor but i think it's hilarious so i am so glad i finally watched it it is a joy Me too and everyone should give it a try it's on hulu now so it's really easy to watch so highly recommend oh um, yeah so i think i know what this witchy movie is but tell me about this witch's tale um so i watched uh the witch no i'm kidding i watched uh fear street part three 1666 how was i really liked this movie it no one can see the dance i'm doing but i'm very excited because this is the one i'm the most excited for i still have to see 1978 i've been depressed this week i've been bad about watching movies (laughs) um so okay so i i because of that i won't dive too much into it i will say that it's it's kind of baby's first uh the witch movie it is what are the needle drops like is it like loots and shit there are none um there is a really great score but there okay so this movie has to do two things <laughs> i'm trying to like not be spoilerific this movie has to do two things it has to tell a 1666 story and it also has to tie up and and bring an end to the 1994 storyline so 
I don't know what to say. Not all of this movie is set in 1666. I would say that a surprising amount of this movie is not set in 19, in 1666. Um, but what it does do is it does distill kind of what the witch is about in about an hour. It's paced really well. It's queer as fuck. And what I love is that they're using the same actors that have portrayed characters in 1994 and in 17 and 1978 as their kind of ancestors. So it, oh. it, it creates this like visual language where we kind of know these people just because we've watched two movies with their descendants. And so it doesn't spend a whole lot of time with character development except for the two main characters of Sarah Fear and her girlfriend – um, who is again played by the same actress that plays Sam in 1994. And we're kind of seeing how circular all of this horror has been since this event. Cool. And why this stuff is happening. Fuck yeah. And then it ties up 1994. And that, so there are needle drops in terms of when it gets to 1994. But in 1666, it is just a really awesome score that feels like it is appropriate for a movie set in 1666 in terms of like the horror language that we're used to seeing. Cool. Really good. I think ratings for me, I would say 94, 60, 1666, and then 1978. I was okay. not as huge of a fan of, of 78 just because it felt kind of like a repeat in some ways of the first one, but it wasn't as surprising for okay. me. Um, but this one I really loved. I love that it ties everything together. I love that it kind of brings everything full circle. And we have this fucking awesome horror event in – 2021 that has spanned over three weeks that's fucking amazing so cool and i just i hope that the success of this and i'm so okay this is not just a horror event but it is directed by a woman it is queer as fuck it's so successful it's doing so Mm -hmm. well and i'm just i'm hoping that this continues this upward trend of more representation in horror and it being important and it not, but also doesn't have to be like, it's a gay movie. Like it's a gay movie, but it's also a fucking slasher and it's scary as shit and it's gory. And like them being gay doesn't have to be like this, the tent, like the center thing and more horror events like this. Like maybe they'll do another fear street trilogy. And like, I honestly think they could, or like, I just think there's so, this shows like so much potential for all of this kinds of stuff. So I'm like super mm-hmm. pumped and hopefully this will be coming back as like horror events in the summer because holy shit, it's been so cool to have like the whole month of July be about Fear Street. Oh, so amazing. It's so, and like in, two, in 2021, everything's about Fear Street. Like I have a Fear Street tote bag and everyone recognizes it now. I mean, like, everyone, like people did before, but like even more be like, oh my God, are you watching it? And it's like getting me to talk to people in the real world that I like. Uh, wouldn't have talked to in the first place. Sorry, I'm just not that person. But also, like you know, getting horror fans like kind of linked up together. It's it's been really neat. Well, and also like my coworkers who are not horror fans have been watching this, and so like there is a crossover potential yeah. here that I think is is really cool. That there are three movies that yes, I'm I'm in our in our very kind of small echo chamber on horror Twitter. We see a lot of people excited, but there are people outside of the people that we typically talk to that are watching this that don't typically watch horror movies or people that might've grown up reading fear street or whatever the case may be, or, or have an affinity to R.L. Stein. It's, it's all coming together and that's pretty cool. It's really fucking cool. Yeah. Neat. Okay. This horror comedy. Um, I watched how to deter a robber, which is coming out on Friday. I think you saw, I think you've, I think I've reviewed this one. Have I ever so, this one? how to deter a robber? It's coming out on 
today, actually, directed by Maria Bissell. It is her um, directorial debut. And it follows a young woman and her <laughs> naive is a strong word is a is a word for it boyfriend who face off a pair against a pair of amateur burglars in the middle of winter in a desolate town in northern Wisconsin. I love this movie. Did you like it? It was so fun, like, wasn't it? It's it is a movie about everyone who is just trying their best and they're not doing the they're not <laughs> succeeding necessarily, but they're really trying, and that's the entire movie. And I really love it. It's very, it's got like Fargo vibes, but mm. in high school or like right out of high school. So it's got the little bit like that Fargo dark humor to it. It's kind of like everyone's a little bit of a dope and it's dark and kind of gross, but also funny. So it does have those Fargo vibes. And I, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the ending. And I, I think it's on purpose, but about like exploiting trauma for personal gain is like a really mm. interesting theme in this movie that I was like really fascinated with the ex that's exploration of. And um, it's just, it's funny, but it's all, it's a movie that is funny, but knows when to be sincere, which I really yeah. enjoy. I think a lot of the times in horror comedy, it's, there's that balance between horror and funny, but there isn't kind of like a moments to where you have, emotional access to characters in a way that makes it accessible and a little bit like a little bit more nuanced and deep and this film really does that and goes into these parts where it's like the characters aren't just caricatures of like an, a like a slacker high school student and her weird boyfriend and like her survivalist <laughs> uncle but oh my god yes and that relationship is uncle. really sweet too and it's it's a really clever spin i think on the home invasion movie I think we've seen a lot of home invasion movies and we kind of know what to expect. But this one is like, I don't know. Let's just like take those expectations and fuck with them a little bit. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, I really, really enjoyed it. Awesome. It's definitely right. It's a, it's a Christmas movie, which is funny. Yes, it so is. it's very Christmas in July vibes. So it'll be, it's funny to watch it now because it's like in the middle of winter and it's freezing cold out and it's a Christmas tree. So interesting, interesting they're releasing it now, but it's a good Christmas horror movie. That is what I watch. Those are the two things I watch. But what did what is this uh well, what is this one town in peril film that you watched? Okay, so in prep for watching um The Crazies remake, I had never seen the original, although uh... I apparently bought it. And so I was like, I'm going to watch it finally. And it is a George Romero movie mm -hmm. from 1973 and it's not one of his okay. I don't think it's one of his better movies. Okay. I've heard that quite a few times. There there are some things in here that you can obviously see where like Dawn of the Dead is going to eventually go in mm -hmm. terms of in terms of themes. What I really appreciated watching that movie back to back with the remake, and we'll talk about this a bit more with the remake, is the mm -hmm. way that this one kind of this one is kind of about how the military is ruthlessly inefficient and inept. Whereas I think in the remake, it is about how the military is ruthlessly efficient in destroying. Yeah. Whereas like the other, the, 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 the original one is set between it, like instead of taking the focus simply on the main couple, it sort of cuts between this, um, scientist that's trying to figure out a cure to the uh, military that have closed down the town to um, the couple that is trying to escape to all these little different stories that are kind of creating 
how this all could have just gone all fuck wrong. And so okay. it's more of a paranoid paranoid thriller where mm. unlike the remake where we'll we'll eventually talk about where like you can kind of see the virus taking hold and it almost comes a little bit zombie-ish, you don't 100% know who by the end of this movie who is gone insane because of this and who oh, isn't because everyone starts okay. turning on each other because of paranoia. Oh, and so okay. It's definitely more of that paranoia vibe. It's way too long. It's very slow, especially in the middle section. I was like checking my watch constantly. Like it is very, <laughs> very, 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 very slow. But the the topics that it's exploring are really interesting and okay. I think is probably one of his more smarter uh, films in terms of the the concept of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was executed as well as um as I was kind of hoping it would be. Okay. But I will say that the opening of it is is fucking intense. It's it has this like little girl that's like drinking some water and a boy unscrews the light and they're kind of playing um, hide and seek with each other and then they see a man that is taking a crowbar and just destroying everything in the house. They go run up to their parents. They find that their mom is dead. And then they discover that the man that's destroying their house is their father, who then sets the house on fire with them in it and burns the entire house down. And that's the inciting incident of this film. And it is like a, whoa, we're, (laughs) we're fucking going there. And again, destroying that nuclear family concept that, that George Romero loves to do. Oh, and cool. um, okay, that's interesting. So I have, I have I have a lot of things to say about the opening of this movie. So that'll be yeah. yeah. So we have that, and then um, it's also mean. Um, again, we have a man and, a, and, a, and his girlfriend who is pregnant, and she's they want to get married, and then it kind of goes from there with that. But it has a very mean ending uh, <laughs> in terms of what happens to this couple. So yeah, that that is what I saw, and I guess it's a good point to transition to. What we're talking about this week? Our Ox remake, which is The Crazies from <laughs> 2010, as directed by Breck Eisner. So had you seen this one before? You had, right? I saw it in theaters. Yeah, Me I too. saw it in theaters. And I really, I, I, when I saw it in theaters, I was in high school. And I don't think I knew that it was a remake. Mm-hmm. But I do remember being fucking terrified <laughs> of this movie and being really stressed out. And... Yeah, I, I think that holds up a, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So did you like it on this rewatch? I did. I really did. I think I I hadn't seen it in a very long time. So especially the opening, I noticed a lot more. I think I appreciated a lot more how quickly it jumps into the action. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's not fuck around. Like, it is immediately like, well, especially with like the quick shots of the house on fire, which make you think that that is like the climax of the movie when it is not. Right. Um, which I love. Um, and you know, have these shots of his house on fire and then you go to the base, like you have like this stuff that goes to the baseball game, like setting up the town really quickly. And it does a really good job of setting up who everyone is pretty quickly without having to be these like long conversations and like you kind of get the vibe pretty quickly. I was dying at the fact that they did a close up on Timothy Oliphant's wedding ring when he was driving the car. Mm-hmm. That was fucking hysterical and the most like post 9-11 bullshit, like look at his wedding ring. He's married. <laughs> I don't know why. That was so funny. I was like, why why is that a necessary detail for you to point out at the beginning of the Well, I, I mean I do have a thought of, about that. I think that this movie is very traditional. And very oh, much oh, like, oh yes, and she's pregnant. Manly <laughs> men, damselly women, because 
Oh, yeah. I'm going to be honest, by the end of the movie, I was so tired of Judy screaming at every little thing. Yes. Because she is cast as a damsel that needs to be saved the, constantly. All the women are, and the men are very much like a – they're cops with guns. They're, yeah. you know, we're going to go save the day and rescue our women folk because America. It's very much uh, that vibe it was giving me. And so the focus on the, the wedding ring, in hindsight, it, it makes me laugh because it is just the sort of the starting point of like this very traditional manly man, damselly woman aesthetic. Oh, 100,000%. Especially because they're in their cop uniforms the whole fucking time. Oh, yeah. Him and Joe Anderson, who I totally forgot about. Timothy Oliphant. Okay, Timothy Oliphant is the sheriff. Joe Anderson is the deputy. deputy. And then Judy is Rada Mitchell from Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. Hot couple, I will say, that Judy and Timothy Oliphant. Very, very, very attractive. Beautiful. They make beautiful babies. But like, so this movie, it, it's, it's in farm country. It's with men that are cops saving women. It is very much that that vibe of like damsel in distress. And I actually got a lot of, I had two movies that I thought about watching this. One was 30 okay. Days of Night, which should surprise, I always think about that movie. But it had, I think about that because it had this really interesting glorification of police officers, mm. men in charge, and mm-hmm. like doing things and making sacrifices to save the women in their lives. And it had that kind, and like, the, especially the dread at the beginning that's building. I know they're very different, but it had, like, again, middle of nowhere cops trying to like, every day, like, everyday life with their small town and then things are going wrong and then they're the saviors of everything. So I got a lot of those similar vibes because a lot of movies are like that in that era. But it's it's interesting how similar that they are in terms of thematics. I also thought about The Bay, which okay. is the found footage movie from 2012 right? about a parasite that destroys a small um, – Oceanside Town in Maryland, where I live, which makes that movie even more fucking terrifying. But I got the similar vibes of, like, middle of nowhere, like, wholesome, like, one main street, everyone knows each other, mm-hmm. and watching that systematically get decimated. It doesn't have the same kind of, like, gender politics, actually, because the w- women are the camera operators in that movie more often than men. But I got the same kind of like destruction of the small town vibe and the violence that comes with that and like what that looks like and also military intervention mm. and like what military intervention looks like and how it's bad. They don't give a fuck. And again, this reminds me. Oh, no, we didn't talk. Our Iron Giant episode isn't coming out yet. Never mind. I was going to reference the Iron Giant like government shit, but. I think the government stuff got me a lot more than it was the first time I watched it. I don't. I think just being older, but also in our current context and time, and when we actually are dealing with a pandemic, it's it's much more terrifying to think about how little the government actually cares about individual people, like individuals, and how expendable we are yeah. for the greater good. That shit scares that that shit scares me more than anything now. I think is what I'm realizing. Like the sacrificing of a small amount of people for the greater good, and like the dilemma of trying to choose like what is the best idea, like what is the best solution, and it's getting me stressed out just thinking about it. I don't know why. Like this has been stressing me out for the past couple of months. Like that idea in movies. So well, it's interesting that you bring up that this reminded you of of those two movies because um one of my first notes that I wrote about this movie is that it gave me Jaws vibes. Um, Yes, I was also going to say Jaws vibes, especially with the mayor in the pool. The mayor in the pool, but you also do not slap a police officer without referencing Brody and 
there's the after that because the opening scene is him shooting the man and then he goes to the the funeral parlor where his grieving uh wife and son are and she just slaps him and i'm like oh okay we are doing this jaws thing and i was like is this is this kind of intentional and then there is the scene where where the police officer goes to talk to the mayor and it is voking mayor vaughn and they can't shut off the water and the, the town community is needing money it's not because it's a seaside community but because they're a farming community and they need to have the the production but it's like this it's was springtime totally... everyone's planting their crops all their crops yeah. are gonna die and everyone's exactly. gonna go broke and so it was giving me absolutely the Jaws vibes for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of homage going on, but like even though it is a remake, there's a lot of horror homage like oh, yeah. happening and like a lot of it's like referencing a lot of stuff and kind of playing with that. I don't I mean obviously it's not original because it's a remake, but it doesn't it doesn't have the most original story. But some of the kills and the shit like with the medical saw and the morgue. Oh, about that, that moment that was shit. great. When it's like on the ground and like rolling toward his crotch and he's backing right. up. I was like, was oh. Like, classic. <laughs> classic. So yes. it also does reference the original in a in a kind of little cameo sort of wink way. There's a mm-hmm. moment where there's a woman that rides out on her bike and she is singing and she's infected. Yes. That is an actress that was in the original. Oh. She was the a young daughter in the original and that was actually she had kind of it was a creepy situation where her her father was like taking care of her and there's at one point where he like tries to make moves on her in the in the original movie and it's like again it's that playing with is he is he affected by this drug or is he just a fucking creepo? Oh, like it is yeah. playing with that kind of expectation but that is she she is the the woman riding on the bike oh, okay. in this movie. And this one, they're very obvious. Like they really, oh, they yeah. act weird. Like it's like it's it's zombies without it being zombies, yep. basically. And like that's just, I, I guess that's just one of the things that I actually did like about the original one. I, I think this one is paced a lot better, and this one is scarier than the remake is. But in terms yeah. of like the things that it's exploring, that original one has some very interesting. Bless you. <laughs> that original one has some very. Um, very interesting dynamics that it is it, it is tackling uh, with its movie and there's actually one point where the scientist uh comes up with an antidote and he is because of how inept and that's the other thing that i really liked about comparing these two is that the government in that original one is so inept they're so inept in order for them to secure the area they have to have like this voice print and so he is so tied up with trying to like communicate to the the colonel that he has this this um, vaccine that might save the day that there's this this idea of this voice print that he can do and it takes forever and he's like he's just down the street i'm gonna go run to him and when he goes out they think that he's a crazy person and they end up killing him and so the military is basically shooting themselves in the foot and killing the one help that they can do so there's like it's all about how this giant fuckery happens at all stages of 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 government that cause this town to collapse on itself and that is one thing i think the original does a little bit better than this one although this one the government is a lot more just ruthlessly efficient at destroying things yeah seriously just you know i mean you could tell that this is definitely post 9-11 oh especially with like my good old second screen horror shit where it's like the radar like zooming in on them and then taking pictures and it's like the government is always watching you like yep it's very post 9-11 it's got it's just screams that basically the entire film and the nihilism yeah. at the end too. Mm-hmm. It is scary. I thought it was though. good. I thought it was good. It had some good jump scares. It, it's creepy. 
Timothy Oliphant's hot. Mm. It's pretty gross. You know. That man has just been so hot his entire film career. Just different stages of hotness. Just constantly evolving. Constantly. But yeah, so I I I would recommend a revisitation of the crazies. It's on Amazon Prime and Hulu. Mm-hmm. So Okay, so we have come to we are transitioning to a new a new theme of film. Terry, what are we watching next week, and how is it a beautiful bridge between the two? Well, so we are going to leave the aughts remakes, and we're going to move into one of my favorite subgenres of horror, aquatic horror, which feels appropriate for the summer. And I, I, you know, I'm so confused as to when Shark Week is anymore, because last year Shark Week was in August. Now Shark Week is happening right now. Yeah. And then, like, Nat Geo has Shark Fest, which is the end of the month, I think. But whatever. But yeah, so we're going to start watching Aquatic Horror, which I think is going to be great. So if you have some suggestions for things that we need to include in our watch, please hit us up. But we are going to bridge the two by watching Alexander Aja's Piranha 3D. Ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Ah. It's a lot. There's a, it's a lot of a movie. I'm so excited to watch it. I have seen clips, and I can only imagine what I'm about to get into, and I am stoked. And I'm also stoked for Aquatic Horror, Aquatic Horror rules. But who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? On Monday's episode, we are talking Darkwing Duck, specifically Mm. the episode Twin Beaks, with the director (laughs) of the upcoming mental health and horror documentary, Jonathan Barkhan. Yeah. Boy. (laughs) Darkwing Duck. Let's get dangerous, Mary Beth. We got we get dangerous. Um, I had no context for Darkwing Duck, so it's <laughs> incredible, incredible. And if you want to watch it, listeners, before before um, our episode, it is on Disney Plus. It is on Disney Plus. All ninety one episodes of it. <laughs> it's a lot of Darkwing Duck. It really is, huh? Anyway, uh, listeners, you heard from us, but we want to hear from you. We want to know what aquatic horror movie should we be watching, like Terry said. So you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 